Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels, and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday Debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee, and it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out, www.patreon.com slash Grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hey guys, it is May 21st, 2020, and this is Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. (laughs) You know, after you say it so many times, you've got to say it in a different way, probably just to amuse yourself, (laughs) or I could just be going crazy, which is probably like 90% of why I even do a podcast, right? Because I'm that crazy to sit here and just express myself constantly to you lovely folks who listen to this podcast, and I appreciate it. My episode today is with a very special guest that I asked to be on the show back in February, and we finally were able to schedule, and I could get him on the schedule, and it's very exciting. And I'm going to tell you, this conversation might make you uncomfortable. And if it does, good. My job is done. (laughs) That's it. That's all I'm going to warn you about. But no, um, we talked about some heavy stuff, but we also laughed, but we got our points across regarding a lot of issues that people either don't want to talk about or they do want to talk about, or they're just talking to people who are just like them. And really, that's not how you're going to change things. You have to talk to people who are different than you. You have to talk to people. You have to talk to people who look different than you, who sound different than you heterosexuals, homosexuals, Republicans, Democrats, you got to have these conversations. It's very important. When I have a conversation that I'm very passionate about or get emotional about, I start, I sweat and I get really hot. And that happened on this episode. So as you're listening, you're going to hear me saying, oh my God, I'm warm, I'm warm. But it's because I'm in a room with the door closed, but also because I'm passionate and I get worked up and you're going to, you're going to hear that today. So Hopefully you get something out of this episode. I did, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So let's get this started. It's episode 26 on the podcast. Can you believe that? I'm going to say that every time I do. Welcome Joseph Gamble to the show. He is a model, an actor. He does theater. He does TV. He does movies. He does commercials. I promise you've seen him in one of his commercials, and we're going to talk about it on the episode. We chatted about how he got into acting later in life and about how important confidence is, but also how not to worry about proving yourself to other people. And once you stop worrying about what other people think, you're going to be able to get your tasks done better and quicker because you're not going to care about other people. You're just going to focus on what you have to do. We talked about the Netflix TV show Hollywood, also race issues in Hollywood, but also race issues that are happening in your own neighborhood. We talked about the death of Ahmaud Arbery. We talked about white privilege and how we can be kinder to each other. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Joe. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, Joe Gamble, to the show. Joe, welcome. I'm so excited. Oh, man, Joe, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been following your work for a minute. You know that. Because yes. I always try and chime in like, this was great. That was awesome. Why'd you do that? I agree. Whatever. Um, and then besides the fact this what drew me to you is your name is Joe. And I mean, Joes are all awesome. So just by default, I was like, this could be a great guy. So thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this chat. Well, I agree too. I, you're the first Joe I've had on the show. So that's right there is very exciting. <sighs> Your, your resume and your acting and your theater and every, uh, there's so much we have to talk about that I don't want to waste time just gushing over you. But just know that before this interview, I was, do, I was diving deep into your <laughs> resume and your life. So I'm, I'm probably going to throw out things. You're going to be like, damn, how did he know that? Because I do my homework. Right. That's cool, man. Let's, 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 uh, let's dive in. Well, no gushing necessary. I'm, I'm, I'm more than well, happy. you know, I think you're very talented, but I wanted to jump in because when I was looking at your resume, it's you, mm -hmm. you have a bachelor's degree in psychology, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. Now, and a minor in education, as a matter of fact. Wow. Real a minor in education and a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. in psychology, and you're an actor. How can you please walk me because you I'm sure you need a lot of psychology and mental health to work in Hollywood. And we will talk about my distaste for Los Angeles at yeah. some point, but how does that, how do those bridges cross into your life? Oh man. Um, wow. Okay. Well, look, I was in, um, I basically got, when I got out of college, I had, you know, went to study, um, <laughs> quick version of my college career. I went in as a business major, business administration. Um, I took my first accounting class and I was excited to have gotten like a D. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is really for me. All right. I want to be a business person, but whatever. Um, I know I like to read. Very much always been into literature. So I became an English major. My downfall there is I love to read. I'm a pretty good writer. One, I don't like doing it. And two, I never wrote, I was very succinct in what I wrote. So they say, we need 15 pages or whatever. And I do like nine and a half. They would have all the content they wanted. But they, I was like, I don't do fluff. I just, okay, this is crazy. I can't do it. But I always enjoyed psychology. So I just went and said, okay, well, I just need a couple more credits in this. I can use this as a major education. But coming out of that, I just, I'm, I'm a, a softy, um, and I know that. And I went into foster care. I was a foster oh. care caseworker, um, social services, pretty much that. I was a middle school teacher, um, leadership counselor. I worked in, in what most people call group homes. We call it a residency program, um, where, oh God, mind you, all girls group home from age 12 to 19. How? Oh. So imagine these, these are girls that have had a rough life. And I won't go into it. It'll depress you what they've been through, drug use and abuse and all kinds of stuff. And then on top of that, the raging hormones and there's a, there's a, the high school is on ground and they live on ground, whatever. Honestly, to date, my favorite job. I loved it. I feel like I had a, a house full of little sisters because they've been, they've been so taken advantage of in a plethora of ways. And most of the time, they were just afraid of, uh, intimidated by, angry with male figures. And once we establish our relationship, man, 
those are my little sisters, man. Like I would, right. I would do anything for them. I always stood up for them. I would take them on trips. Oh, they said we can't go out. I'm like, you clean your room? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys pack your bags, and I, I take up half a day. Don't tell anybody. Like it was just, I, I really love what I was doing. Um, but the the reason I got out of that was mostly a few things. One, it was um, emotionally draining. It, it was particularly foster care was really tough for me because you're dealing with children that, and I say children, I use the term lightly because at the time I was like in my mid twenties maybe. And I had people that had been in foster care since, since toddlers. Oh my God. And they were like sad. 19. So they're looking at me like, bro, we almost the same age. Like what you going to teach me? You know right, what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> so it was, but so it's like the, 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 the struggle of you want to be as, involved and passionate and compassionate to do everything you can for them. However, you have to remain detached enough to keep it, listen, this is what we agreed upon. You want to bend over backwards and be like, oh, let me just fix this for you and let me see what I can do to make this happen. So there's that part. It's really like emotionally draining. Wasn't making a lot of money. So that was also a, a part of it. And then the part of there are many moving parts. To let's say a kid saying, "Oh, I want to see my parents for Christmas." Okay, well, your parents are in a program, and we'll see what we can do. You got to make sure you keep your grades up, check in with your with your mom, um, pay attention to your aunt, your, your foster mom, whatever whoever it might be. But as their kids, all I heard was yes. So fast forward three months later, Christmas is coming up. They can't see their mom. They can't see their mom not because they were negligent in anything they were supposed to do, not because the school didn't uh, support them, not because the foster parents didn't do anything. They would not be able to go do what they wanted to do because a guy in my office, instead of finishing the paperwork, was playing solitaire all day. Oh, no. So he never got to... Yeah, so it was that kind of situation. I was like, I can't keep doing this, man. I'm, I'm going to flip over this cat's desk. Like, I just... It was just so... It was frustrating in all those different ways. I was like, I don't know. I, I got to get out of this. I can't do this anymore. So... Fast forward through that, that was like maybe seven or eight years right after college. And I honestly hopped around, I did different jobs for different number of years. And yet be current to getting into the creative realm, I kind of got lost in corporate America. And I, how can I say this? I lost sight of the things that kept me happy, that, that made me feel good, things that I could get lost in to be, uh, better aligned with my spirit and just kind of internally, I felt there was a struggle. I was very angry between angry and depressed. Those two things are just prevalent in my life. And I was just going, I was kind of digging in inside like, well, I got to do something differently. What's going on? And I just got on a track where I really started to just go inward, just into my own head and become friends with the monster in my bed. Like most people are afraid of what their brain would say to them if they give it some silence. Oh, yeah. I got into I got into meditation. And what happened was I got to a point where I got past all the manush, all the noise and whatnot was going bouncing on my head. And I started to feel like I need to get in touch with something that just made me happy just for that. Not for the sake of an accomplishment or an achievement or an accolade or a promote. Just what do you like to do? And I realized I kind of went back to that I've always had a creative side. And I could pull up things. I, I used to write poetry. I used to sketch. I used to, I used to read, read comic books. So I like to like draw the characters. And I'd come up with little stories. And um, 
I used to watercolors. I, I wanted to like always trying to make little uh, model planes and all this stuff is into a creative outlet. So I would just look for things like that. Like, let me just see what resonates with me. Maybe that'll just be my little, my creative outlet because I realized that I needed something of that nature in my balance, right? And I actually, I came across, I considered acting when I took my fiance at the time, I took her to a Broadway play, a Broadway show. It was wicked on Broadway. I used to oh. live in New York City. Now I'm living in. I took her to this play, and it was phenomenal. It was a music. Oh, I used to sing, like all kinds of stuff, right? So, if you know anything about the show, mm-hmm. it is yeah. top notch. It's incredible. It's such an engaging experience. You're just enthralled the entire time. And I remember specifically walking out of the theater and looking at her and going, hmm, you know, maybe I should try being an actor. And <laughs> I give her such credit. I swear, that that's where it started. Yeah. I give her such credit because she was like, okay, uh, cool. So, you know, and she had some background in, in the arts. She knew a lot of people in the arts. And what I started to do was just, it wasn't like I was like, oh my God, this is the end of my life. This is the greatest. But I wasn't doing that. I was just kind of sticking my toe in just to see just like any any of these other side had uh, hobbies and activities, if this was something that put me in a good space. And what I did first was I said, okay, well, I'll try and just do it by the numbers. I don't have any musical theater or or uh, conservatory experience. I'm just going to kind of feel it out. So I went and signed up for Central Casting in New York City. And shortly thereafter, they called me for a job. This might be a pivotal part of why Actually, two parts of the story is why I actually continued and took me to where I am today. The first job they called me for was Law and Order SVU. I'm like, <laughs> what? So you say, <laughs> so wait a minute. So you come out, how long does it take for when you walk out of Wicked and say, I want to be an actor until you're getting the call <laughs> for Law and Order SUV? Um, it, I mean, it might, I don't know. It might have been several months or something. Okay, so that's that still like, oh, amazing. About it. I kind of started reading some books on it and she said, hey, talk to this person who's an actor or whatever and just opening my awareness to it. And she was like, okay, well, they're telling me that's a good way to, to just kind of get a, a feel for what this is about is to do background work. And that's what central casting is where you just go and do like extra work on TV shows or a movie where you're the person that kind of walks by or you're just a person lingering in the background while a conversation's going on just to fill space or make it look like a Whatever. You need to have a crowd scene and stuff like that. So still, I'm like, okay, it's extra work. I don't really know the difference of what that even is at this point. But I'm like, that's a great show. Okay, cool. <laughs> I go to the set. And this is the second part. First of all, the fact the first job I get called on is Law & Order SEU. I don't know anybody who doesn't love the show. It's amazing. It's been on for like 16 seasons. I've Great never watched night. it. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm a weirdo. Watch watch one episode. I need to really watch the episode it. that you're in. <laughs> Actually, you watch that episode, just don't blink or go to the bathroom. <laughs> Is that the one you played a reporter in? Yes. Okay. I played a reporter in that one. Okay. And I actually played another another role and went back and was a detective. Yeah, you were twice. You I were tw- bad. twice yeah. on on that show. That's I, I don't mean to interrupt. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I see. I told you I'm going to get very no. excited. It's okay. You know, please do. I, I get excited, <laughs> but I have to cut myself off from talking about this stuff because I really enjoy eating the journey of. It. Well, it's your passion, so, so that um, makes sense. Yeah, I, I realize that 
a couple years in, but at this point, I'm just still like, all right, let's go see and see what it's about. So I'm walking on the set, and I'm walking, it's, it's in downtown Manhattan, so I'm walking on the set, um, and I see, do you know who Ice-T is? Yes, I do. I do know who Ice-T okay. is, yes. I see Ice-T, and I'm like, oh, he's on the show. Wow, okay. I didn't say anything. I'm just walking. He approaches me, and he says, hey, you know, you look like a new face. Uh, uh, just a, are you going to the set? Are you film it today? He's like, yeah. The first time here? Yep. I said, cool. Well, look, have a good time. Relax. <laughs> have fun. Welcome. Super nice guy, wow. right? Wow. Yeah. So just the fact that he was so welcoming, just so, he's like, hey, can you put his arm, hand on my shoulder? Hey, welcome. Have a good time. And just have fun, man. I was like, okay, great. So I go on set. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. People say the actors are all jerks. <laughs> it was just so much outside of what I expected, right? Right. So I go on set, and it kind of gives you a chance to see all those moving parts that come into seeing a, 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 an hour show or whatever. All the stuff behind the scenes with it, filming, and oh, continuity. You can't cross your leg left to right, because in the last scene before we cut it, you cross right to left. And all the little stuff that you don't pick up on. Who keeps track of all that? That sounds so insane to me that somebody has to keep track of. Oh, it is, it is so intricate. How your body was standing yeah. or how your hair looked or whatnot. It, it, but between, yeah, between the director, um, whoever's uh, production assistant, okay. you know, the assistant AD, it's just kind of a bunch of eyes looking like, hey, well, look, um, last time I think you changed the watch was on the other wrist. They're like, oh, okay, right. And they go back and check it. Like, yeah, correct. Put your watch on the other hand or whatever. So, in short, it got me a chance to give me a chance to see a lot of these various components of what it takes, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I'm just listening. You know, I got I went back and, and was on that show again. I was on another show, Blue Blood, Blue Bloods. Mm-hmm. Um, Isn't that with Jennifer Lopez? Completely. No, that's with um with Tom Selleck. He's like a oh a, okay. Detective or something. What was Jennifer Lopez um, in then, recently? Blue something. Uh, a TV show? Yeah. I don't know. Was she? Jennifer Lopez. Oh, oh, um, the movie? She was in The Hustlers. Yeah. Well, she's in a TV show, I think. It, uh, she's a, uh, yeah. um, it's she's not a, de- a detective that, or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought it was. But in that, in that, in that vein. Shades um, of Blue. So yeah, Shades of Blue. That was it. With Ray Shades Liotta. Of, yes, with Ray Liotta. Okay, yes. I, got, I got my blue blood and my shades all confused. I'm sorry. Sir. That's it. Yes, it's blue and blue. That's all you know. That's all I now need to it know. It's, it's the blue wall. <laughs> um, so yeah, so just doing, doing the background stuff for a while and just gave me a chance to, um, to get a little bit of a, a bigger sense of what this is about. And then I'm like, okay, so how else can I continue to explore this? And I found somebody who was like, well, why don't you do some modeling? I'm like, oh, okay, let me think, let me see what this is about. Mm-hmm. And this is what tied me in that made me go, okay, I can do this. Cause you think model, you think like some chiseled hard you know jaw runway model like an eight pack super fit and buff and i'm just like yeah i'm not working that hard sir listen listen i'm looking at your picture right now and you that's you so don't don't um don't count your don't don't count yourself out of that but go ahead they might have just, it might have caught me at a good angle, <laughs> some lighting, <laughs> whatever you it pay, was. Listen, you pay a lot of money for those headshots. They better make you look like a model. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I got to doing some print modeling. What made me consider that is like, okay, look, I, 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 here's the thing. I walked into this because I'm walking into it later in life. 
I'm not seeking approval. I'm not trying to find my identity within what it is I'm doing. I know who I am as a person. So I'm not walking into, I hope we get the job and if I don't get it, it's, oh my God, what did I do wrong? And I'm not walking into like that. I'm like, look, I'll go in and do whatever they ask me to do. And if I book it, great. It's extra money. Mm-hmm. If I don't, all right, whatever. I'll walk away. I don't care. Whether that worked for me or not, but I, I booked some stuff. I did some some national campaigns for a couple of different companies and Verizon Wireless and um, for business, you know, um, Bloomberg Business Week and I you know, a couple of magazines and stuff. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. I'm enjoying it. And I went and took a class. I was like, okay, I like what I'm doing. I like it more. Let me just keep expanding on it. So my thinking was, I'll just continue to explore. And then anything that you endeavor to do, particularly if it's something that you are not familiar with, you're going to hit a wall where you got to do some work. Mm-hmm. And when you get to that wall, you either go, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to figure this out. Or you go, yeah, this is for me. I just, it was fun, but whatever. So that was my approach to everything. I was like, I'm just going to do it until it, while it still feels good. If I come to a point where I just I don't have a desire, I'm not quitting. I'm just deciding I don't want to do it anymore. I never had that. I don't want to fail. And no, I never had that kind of approach. So I'm like, okay, so what's next? I took a commercial class, a TV commercials, because this is what resonated in my head. Someone once said to me, you know something? TV commercials are not as specific as people say, oh, I can't, you know, you have to have a certain look to be on TV. Two things they said. They said, one, if you're in a TV commercial, they want you to be believable and relatable. Okay, I have a relatable face. People don't generally look at me and go, he's lying. Okay? <laughs> right. The, the second thing is that if you look at any TV commercial, even if you look at a television show or a movie, not everyone in that project looks like Brad Pitt, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, uh, Denzel Washington. It's all shapes and sizes. It's a different role. They might want somebody to look like a football player. They want somebody to look like an overweight cab driver. They want... Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, so if I can see myself in anyone on the screen, that means potentially there is some space for me, and I'll just see what comes about. Right. So that's, that, that was my approach in it, and I took some classes. Okay, I kind of like this. It's fun. So anyway, I'm just kind of educating myself as I'm going along um, and just always paying attention to if it feels right, if it resonates with me, and if it, it's, it still feels like fun, like I'm enjoying it, even in the process of putting effort for it. Because as I got into the acting space, now I've got to learn lines, study scripts, how do I create this character, how do I execute, all that stuff, that's work. But even as I'm doing it, I'm like, this is really kind of like it. So I'd say about two, I started in New York City. About a year after that, I moved to California. And it wasn't for the sake of an acting career. It was just a change of pace. I, I was born and raised in New York. I'm a native. I've always lived there. I'm like, well, I just want to try something new. And the weather is literally perfect, so I just only try California. Stay in California. Really like it. Well, okay, I'm going to stay for a little bit. With no roots, just like, I'll just see what feels right, and I'll kick move if I have to. So nobody, um, um, so nobody, nobody said to you, like, if you want to make it, you need to move to Hollywood. Oh, plenty of people said that oh, to okay. me. Oh, okay. Plenty of people said that to me. But, I think, I'll, honestly, I'll put part of it on my maturity and, and not running, scrambling for something that I think I have to chase. And probably part of my New York attitude of 
I don't need to go. No, they film stuff right in New York. Why do I need to go to California? That's not the only place to film. Like I just, it was, I'm overly simplifying it, but that's what was my thinking. I was like, right. I don't need to go to California. They film movies up the street from me. Like I, I'm like, I've been in the street. Like where they film the movie? Oh wow, yeah. how'd that happen? You know, so I, I wasn't pressed for it, but I just wanted to change of environment. Okay. So I came to California, and then it kind of settled in. I hadn't even, I didn't make any inroads out here. I wasn't like, oh, well, before I go, I've got to find an agent and I'll see if I can get in some class. None of that. I was just like, it's time. I need to go somewhere different. Came to California. A couple months after settling in, I'm like, okay. That's when I realized, I registered. People structure their lives in their acting careers to get to California mm-hmm. so they can whatever. I'm here. So let me at least see what I can do, right? Same effort. Got a meeting with an agent. Um, very, 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 I say this to everyone, I am so very fortunate that I was able to get someone who was doing well with the agency to refer me. So it wasn't like, hey, you got to bring this guy on. They're like, of course, whatever you say, Danielle. It wasn't like that. Because she's doing well. They respected her as, as a professional. She's been with the agency for several years. She said, hey, I got somebody taking a look at this. He's new to the art, you know, to the craft, but I think he has potential and, you know, just check him out. So I just didn't get lost in the shuffle. So I got a meeting and I go into the meeting and they're like, oh, well, where do you live? I'm like, I live in Orange County. I call, well, all the auditions are in, they're in Los Angeles and Hollywood and Burbank and stuff. And that's where the filming is. Is that going to be a problem for you? And this, I can credit entirely to my New York swag. I'm just like, <laughs> and this is, this is what I said to her verbatim. I'm not going to reword anything. I said to her, okay, I don't want to come across in a crass fashion or I don't want to assume anything. This is, this is the way I look at the situation. I approached you and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this kind of work. Could you get me some work? And you're saying, hey, we'll find you work. If they like you, you book it. So if I know that I asked you to find these opportunities right. for I'm me, gonna be there. There's right, there's work involved and I will allocate the time necessary to make sure I'm there. So where I live is not a problem. This is where I knew I might have a hand up. She said, Oh, well, that's a great attitude. And I'm like, What <laughs> are these idiots out here doing? Oh, I can imagine I can being, only imagine. Yeah, and I'm just like, What what is she used to contending with? And then as I got into auditions, I was like, oh, I, I see it. <laughs> so I understood why she responded that way. But <laughs> kind of the same. Um, I got this agency and, you know, uh, they're sending me out for gigs. And this is over the course of several years. They know. They're like, look, I know you're not coming with a lot of experience, but I'm also taking classes. I, I'm very much about being receptive. I'm, I'm learning from the people around me. I go to an audition. Okay, what did I think went well? What did they respond to? What didn't they respond to? Maybe I could have done that better. But again, I don't carry the baggage. I'm strong. I can't believe I messed up. I'm like, okay, it's just cut and dry. I walk out of the audition room. I'm done. But I'm very much, I do bring my, my work ethic with me. That's important. Yeah. And Right. And because I have an easy personality, like when I got here, I understood what people say. You should live in California. Mm. That used to be considered an insult to me. I was like, don't ever say that again. I'll punch <laughs> you in the mouth. New York in my blood. That's not going to work. People in California are all fake. That was my perception. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I still believe it. Yeah. I still, I'm sorry. I still believe that, but go ahead. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I have confirmation. I've now just have confirmation. Uh, 
But the thing is, because I have the personality I have that I like to connect with, like I'm very authentic. Like I don't believe in like, oh, who's that? What can he do for me? Let me go schmooze him. I, I don't do that. It, just, it doesn't work for me. It's not in my character. It feels fake. I don't take it. But I do bring my work ethic. So having a personality where I get to my auditions early, I know if there's lines involved, I know the script. I take time, like, okay, they didn't ask me for a costume, but this is what they're describing the character as. Right. Do I have some kind of wardrobe that can kind of be reflective of that to a degree? I just put some effort in so they can see, oh, you see, all right, I see what he did there. Okay, it's not exactly, but, you know, um, I extend myself. One, one thing that worked really well for me, I didn't realize to what degree until afterwards, I would go into an audition and I'd get there early. So let's say my point in time was 3.45, I'd be there at 3.20, meaning in the room, parked in the room, like whenever you need me, I'm here. So I could go in early. I could observe what other people are doing. Sometimes you're paired up. Like, oh, well, you know, Joe, we're waiting. We need another woman to come in with you so you can have the exchange based on the, the breakdown of the script. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And because, let's say, another guy you show up and some woman is just sitting there and I just came out, I'm like, well, I finished early. I don't have another appointment for like another couple of hours. If you want, I'll go in with you. So oh. the actress that's waiting, she's like, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, okay, I'm, honestly, I'm just like, oh, I don't mind. It's cool. No problem. I mean, I already went through it. I know the script. So why not? What I realized afterwards in leading with heart and just be doing it because it's the right thing to do to help somebody else out. Right. It could have been me. I realized that lends to them seeing, okay, first of all, he's a nice person. People don't want to work with assholes. They're very talented people in LA, but a lot of them are assholes. And they don't, who wants to spend time with that kind of person? Two, they see that I'm capable. They see you twice. And what I didn't realize is, right, that's what right. I didn't catch till later. They're like, now they to see me twice. So now I'm like, ah, uh, okay, so I'm going to make sure I do it very differently the second time. So they see a variant in how I can deliver it. That person gets to get, go in and get out without being delayed. She might have another audition. They got to see me. So all these things come into play. But the things that have driven me to this point is really having a work ethic, right. be, being willing to do the work, even though things are scary. Like I have no idea how I'm going to do it. To be willing to apply myself, to take it seriously. To take, I treat the smallest job I had. I did commercials where I need $300 for two years of this commercial running. But I treated it like it was a Spielberg movie. <laughs> well, you you have that, to because... That, it, that it's, was my approach. Because if you don't, then you're not giving it your all. I mean, you have to go into that commercial or whatnot thinking, you know, this is I'm, I could be auditioning for the next Star Wars movie because I want to get this. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, and those, those are the things that allow me to... to Continue to work on it and trip and fall and learn and right. you know either win or learn. That's it. Either you win or you learn the lesson. And keep How many people show up for an average commercial? So when you get there, does it depend on what they're looking for? Is it like twenty people? Is it a thousand people? Because you know I hear so many different stories, but I know that you've lived mm -hmm. it. So what 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 happens? Well, it's kind of both of those things. Um, it is depending on what they're looking for. And based on what they're looking for, if it's a very specific niche, then it's probably going to be less people. Um, and then sometimes just an open call. We just want this age to this age range, male and whatever, you know, a certain hairstyle or a certain height or whatever. 
and based on whatever it is they're looking for specifically, you go in the room. <laughs> this is a lesson. Fortunately, I don't take myself that seriously. Later in life, I realized, I'm like, okay, you got in a good gene pool because I have four brothers and they're all just super handsome. Okay. Listen, just pat yourself on the back. It's okay. This is. No, no, no. No, I'm no just I was like, no, okay, I love okay. it. You, you do okay. But the thing is, I'm not like, hey, I'm a big deal, super whatever. Because even the people say, oh, you should do commercials. You're so good looking. I'm like, okay, well, thank you. But if there was any ego involved, that would be deflated as soon as I walk into audition. Right. Because if you think about it, the, the description, let's say the description is um, African-American male, uh, athletic build, shaved head between 5'10 and, and 6'2". Um, and, and let's say that it just stops there, right? Okay. I walk into a room. There might be 45 people in that room that fit the same description. Right. And they all th- and everyone's like, I'm hot. That's why I'm here. Right. So it's whoever right. delivers some, it. You have to deliver it. I guess it's not it, yeah, matters about it, your it, looks, right? Some, sometimes it can be about the look. And that's just, it happens that way sometimes. It's just very specific. But a lot of times, you have to deliver what they're looking for. Not what you think it should be. You have to deliver what they're looking for. And if you can do that, then out of those, four, mind you, it might be 45 people in the room when I go, they might have seen 600 people that fit the same description over the course of a week. Oh, yeah. So that's the num- That's the odds you're working with. So you just have to make your choices on how, you're gonna, what, how you interpret what they're looking for, how you can deliver it if possible. And then the part that comes in that's just me being me, be a nice guy. Right. Be early. Be friendly. See what happens you when you're you nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's offering, amazing. Offering candy. Here, have some candy. Uh, um, no, I actually have done that. It's funny. It, it just songs everybody. Knew. What's what's his angle? Like, I don't want your breath to stink. You go on the side just like I just right. take it, man. Damn. But I love the moment you said when you walk out and there's a, there's a woman there and you have to go like she needs another guy to audition with. And you're like, hey, I'll go in with you. The first thing I thought was that's brilliant because now the director sees you twice. So here you are doing this kind thing for a stranger because you know what it's like to be sitting there like, I oh, now I have to wait. Right. But like, you're yo, also late. How am I going to get out of here? Yeah. Right. That's brilliant. That's very, very smart. Um. While we're speaking on commercials, I do have a clip. So the last two commercials that you've done late last year, early this year was um, The General and, um, mm-hmm. so, so, uh, you know, I have a hard time saying this, Salon Pass, which is for the, Salon the, the for the back pain. I think I had to practice that on set. I was like, listen, let, I have a that clip. Was, I, I, I actually, I have the commercial to play and then I want to talk about it. Okay, cool. When tough pain strikes, don't tough it out. Try this first. New Salon Pass Patch Large. The twice the size as before with the power to target large pain areas. Make Salon Pass your first choice for tough pain relief. Makes me, makes me want to run right out and buy one. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Now, now, hey, I think my back hurt. <laughs> I think for so everyone listening to this episode, if you've watched television, you have seen this episode. You have, I mean, you have Probably. seen this commercial, this commercial, I've seen this commercial many times. And I, so it's exciting that you're on my podcast. Cause I told you, I get very starstruck. Now, what is it better to do? What would you rather do? Would you rather do commercials or would you rather do like TV spots or like, what is it like guest starring? I think that's what it's called. Like when you're just on one episode. 
I, w- I wouldn't say it's necessary that I'd rather one or the other. Okay. But as far as in my mind, this is, that's part of my trajectory. This is to take me in that direction. Because before doing commercials, I didn't have any experience on film. I had never, I didn't even know what it was to, okay, what's the eye line? What, what is that line? You know, how, where am I looking? You know, where I put my eyes for the camera and the, the, the cadence of which you speak so they can record it a certain way, your body language. Like, I, I didn't know how to set myself up for all that stuff. So to think I'm some guy coming from New York, hey, I think I'm handsome. And uh, yeah, put me on TV. I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as, do people get discovered just randomly? Absolutely. It happens. However, that's not the likelihood. Mm-hmm. So if it took me 10 years to develop the skill set and the ability and the prowess and all those things that are involved in order to achieve that level of success I'm looking at, would I do that? I was like, I would. And then as I prepare myself, if some happenstance takes place that now somebody sees me do something in a commercial, they're like, we would really love to see this film. I've been preparing myself. So I'm, I'm ready to seize the opportunity because I've been, been developing myself. But thinking it's just going to happen overnight, ah, I know better than that. But that's, that's why I, my, my answer is that's why I do the commercials. In order to get my foot in the door, to earn some money, you know, right. to, to make contacts and relationships and prepare myself for larger projects like that. Well, that's, well, that's smart too. And it helps your resume too when you're going in. Right. Everything helps. Right. Right. And they have something to look at. They have something to look at. Say, oh, okay. If I, even if I just have <clears throat> all of my, my uh, formal training. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, this guy's, but they also want to see, well, we want to see you. We want to see how you look. Do you translate on film? You might seem like a really nice guy here, but on film, you might come across like a robot. So they want to see something. So this has given me a lot of opportunity to, to learn, to understand what, you know, when a director says this, this is what he's going for. This is what he means by that. Oh, he made this adjustment. That adjustment, that's not what I thought it was. That's what he means. Oh, okay. So all those little nuances, little things I pick up along the way will prepare me for you know opportunities. And I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed that I feel as opportunities have come my way and they've been growing mm-hmm. each time. Each one's a little bit bigger. One of the things, I, I'm grateful that bigger opportunities are coming my way that I'm, I'm uh, capable of fulfilling what they're looking for, but also that that it wasn't a leap from being in a commercial with one line to eight pages of dialogue. Okay. For for instance, because memorizing scripts, I've never been like, well, I've got a perfect memory. So that was ne- I was like, oh, can I? Okay, three pages of what? How do I? So it's just I'm learning at the speed I'm supposed to learn. So as things come my way, I'm better prepared. And I can take this on if I got to stretch myself a little bit, but you know it happens at the pace it's supposed to happen. Everyone's time frame is different, and I enjoy what I'm doing. I don't feel like a struggle. I feel effort, work, but I just feel like oh, it's not painful. <laughs> Do you think that getting into acting and getting into this career path at an older age has helped you be able to handle like? the Hollywood mentality compared to somebody who's like 17 or 18 and they get right out of high school and they go to LA and they're like, I'm going to be Jennifer Aniston. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I've said it to people before. It, it's to my advantage that I got into it later in life because it, there's nothing wrong with that enthusiasm and, and looking to fulfill what it is that you, you know, you're saying, Hey, I want to, 
I want to be an actor. What is it to be an actor? You want me to be someone else. My job is to pretend I'm somebody else, but believably, so we can relay this message, image, story, whatever have you, right? Right. But if I, my observation has been, my experience, people that have gone through that formalized training earlier in life, unfortunately, this industry has breeded a culture of you do whatever it takes. And that's why you have so many people now in the news that have gone through all these allegations and sexual harassment from all these hierarchy decision makers in the industry because they know that these people's mentality is you do whatever you have to do to get where you want to get. And my perspective is I will do what I have to do up to the point that is outside of my realm of, of my personal values and morals and my uh, belief system. And after that, I'm not going to kill myself because I'm not, because I know who I am, so to speak, as a person. I'm not seeking the approval of someone that if I book it, I think I'm on top of the world. And if I don't book it, there's something wrong with me. Maybe I should get a nose job. I should dye my hair. I'm too, I got to lose weight. I got to gain weight. I'm not doing that. That's good. Because I'm, I'm already, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on where I am. I see my space where it can be. I'm, my awareness is open enough to see how I could expand beyond that. It's something I hadn't considered, but I don't rise and fall on those type of things. So I think that is one part why it's been to my event, uh, my advantage. And then another part is I have a lot more life experiences to draw on, just as far as the, the variety of situations, circumstances, emotions you have to be able to, to tap into experiences and stuff like that. I have years of just life happening that I can pull from to apply. Whereas if you're taking some kid who's, you know, barely out of high school and you're asking to be in some, some role, some gut wrenching role where his best friend, uh, uh, kills himself and or whatever. It's something that might be really coming from a depth and they don't have anything to draw upon other than their training, their formal training. You, they may or may not fall short. It might be, I've seen a lot of younger actors that would do that. And I'm looking like, so how the hell did you do that? Because they have the training to fall back. To fall, I swear, to this day, I do all the time. They might have the training to fall back on. The other aspect for me, what works is that I'm gaining the training. I'm training myself. I'm teaching them. I'm, excuse me. I'm, I'm learning. I'm reading. I'm taking classes. I'm being taught. I'm being coached in a variety of different things. But like one example is, the last two theater productions I did, two, two of the last three theater productions I did, I had to cry. Mm. One of them was just like be emotional about a situation. And another one was like, okay, spotlight, you walk to the front of the stage, you, you're talking to the, to the audience and you got to bring it. And I was just like, uh, how am I supposed to do I don't know how to, <laughs> I'm, I'm like terrified. I'm like, how do I do that? Because I don't have the technical training that would teach me how to draw on those things. As people that went to technical, you know, experience of long-term professional training in this. But for me, and I'm still learning to navigate that now, I have a better handle on it. I was able to fulfill what they wanted just drawing on my life experience. I could kind of go, I've been through a situation where I was really hurt and I felt I felt abandoned or I felt I was emotional because someone passed away or what, like I could pull on right. things that I've been through 
that may or may lived. not be exactly what the cat. Right, I've lived enough to be able to have something as a reference point. Right. Um, so I've been able to pull it off so far, so good. But um, yeah, I, I look forward to always continuing to train. Though I mean, it's not like I'm like I got it. I'm down. I got it down pat. You know, the greatest actors out there are still training. I think it comes too from um, that you said earlier. You have nothing to prove. So when you go in there, you're going in there because you want to be there. You're not worrying about what other people are saying. You're just there to say, I'm doing a job. I'm going to do it. If you don't like me, I'm just going to go to the next one. End of story. And there's so many people in Hollywood that can't do that. So you're coming in already lucky that you have that mentality and that's how you can handle it. Cause I know some Hollywood people, you and I both know actress, actor LJ. So I did a podcast oh, with her. You know my girl right. LJ, right? Yeah, yeah. And she and I, I wish I could work with her one oh, day. I have so much to learn from her. Oh my God, you guys! Oh God, I, I just want to come on the set and stand there and yell out obscenities so she can turn around and say, "Joe, shut up!" And then we'll say which one. But you know, her and I, her, her and I have sat on her sofa and she has shared with me the horror stories of Hollywood and how they just tear people apart. We, um, we wrote a TV show together and we wrote all eight episodes and we found someone to direct the, um, I'm not going to say the pilot, but the thing that you do to sell the show, I'm the worst with words. So we were searching for a director and we, we, met up with a a director and we went to lunch with this director to film this like eight minute set thing. And, um, this, this person ended up crying at lunch because Hollywood has just beaten the shit out of them, like beaten them and like worse than the worst possible parent you could ever have. And I can remember sitting there thinking, excuse my language, fuck this. Like, I don't like I, I'm like sitting there. This is what it's about. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Like I'm sitting there watching the director crying over her lunch and LJ's trying mm-hmm. to console her. And I'm sitting there like, mm-hmm. I'm check. I'm done. I don't give a fuck. Like right. I'm, I, and I'm an old man. I can't be dealing. Like if this is how Hollywood is, I'm just going to go do a podcast and not have to be bothered. But, right. um, yeah, it can, it can be a little hard. Do you, do you think it's harder for men, um, for men, women um, more than men? I wouldn't say it's harder for it. It's, it's hard in a different way. Um, because it's all of the, the societal uh, expectations and such on, on men and women are different. So it could be very challenging. I mean, there is, there's a, uh, okay, I could say that there's a certain posture I have that although I'm walking in ready to perform and feel something, I'm not walking like, uh, you guys okay? And I hope I, oh, I hope I did it right. And like, I don't, I don't have any, there's not an air of meekness about me. Okay. So a lot of what the director you met with contends with, they might be more likely to direct that towards a woman or, or maybe, um, okay, I'm, I'm a masculine male. There may be men that are not as masculine that don't have that kind of, uh, um, strengthen their energy or women that they'll direct that kind of energy towards. But I don't see that people would do that to me. Not because I'm like, Ooh, I'm big and scary, but just people pick their victims. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and women even more so because the reality 
The world is run by men. The people in places of power, the majority are men. It's in transition. A lot of that's changed. Used to be all, you know, older white men were always in charge. Right. So now it's transitioned. You see now people of color, you see women, you see different ethnicities, you see different uh, uh, stages of, of, of sexuality and, and preference and all that is involved. But overall, women could get taken advantage of in that way because the majority were men. That's how a lot of that happened in the past. It can happen to men too. Um, I've had people confront me and try and fish and see what I was willing to do for a part. Are you talking sex? Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. I I was I, I like, expected that. I expected that at some point because you are a very handsome right. guy and you're heterosexual. So I'm sure Thank there was you, that. Uh, which part that? Which part, are, which, which part are you thankful for? That you're heterosexual or that you're handsome? Are <laughs> both? <laughs> Honestly, I'm just thankful that I'm a guy because women got the short end of the stick. Oh, poor thankful things. So I feel so bad for oh. women. I do. I do. I'm so glad. Um, but. I want to know, like, I, cause I've talked to women in Hollywood and they're like, I went in to meet with someone and the first thing that came out of their mouth was, Oh, you need to lose 10 pounds. Does that happen to guys? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That happens. All right. I know if I walked in, they would just please like, please leave. <laughs> sir, sir, sir. It's going to, it's going to take, a, it's going to take us all day to tell you what's wrong with you. So just go, just go get it. We need another fat, bald guy. Just go. You don't know what go. they're looking for. Crazy. I would, I tried, listen, okay. I'm going to share this with you. It's embarrassing. So I used to do theater when I lived in Florida, it was just community theater, nothing, you know, I did win an award once, but this isn't about me, but this story is. So I was working, I had given up a little, I had taken a break from being a nurse and I was working for a bank and they were getting ready to do a commercial for the bank. And they were like, well, we're going to get Joe cause Joe is in the theater and he knows. Well, and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. I'm going to be in a commercial and I'm not even getting paid, but this is so exciting. So I get right. there, they turn on the camera. I forgot I was on planet earth. I just stared ahead and they were like, okay, let's do it again. And I just stared at the camera and I had all my lines memorized, but they went out, they went out like a banknote. They were just gone. They were just wow. gone. And eventually after like the 75th take, I didn't lose my job, but the marketing manager of the bank was like, just step aside. And then she did the commercial in like 32 seconds and I was embarrassed oh. for the rest of my life. Oh. So congratulations that you can get in front of the camera. What's that? I mean, it happens though. You know, what was a big part of what was daunting for me. I mean, a few things. First of all, despite the career that I've chosen at this point in my life, I never really liked taking pictures. Most of the pictures I had, he's like, oh, take a picture. All right, I'll do it. Like, I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I remember at a point, my brother made fun of me. Um, they're like, well, if you have to take, you know, when I'm just looking, considering getting into the modeling stuff, well, they have to smile. So smile. What's your what's your smile if you're, like, happy to see your family? I'm like, I don't know. What do you mean, what's my smile? Make me laugh or something. What are you talking? Yo, it was like a good hour and a half. We argued about, you have to be able to smile on cue like that's part it, and, and it's just print modeling it's just an image we're not even talking about getting in a character for a role on film if you can't smile for a picture this isn't going to work for you and when he finally brought i was like 
okay, you're right. And I had to learn to get comfortable in front of the camera. So I, my point is, it's it's definitely a process. Some people, you know, some people that just jump in front of it. They just say, hey, look at me, look at me. I've always been like, I've been always been, look over there. So it's ironic that I'm actually now doing it. You know, I... um. I don't know what happened that day, but then I went and I was on that Vice show with LJ and I was mm. fine. It was just so weird. You know what it was? It all comes back to oh, you. I, were wasn't, awesome. I wasn't confident, I think, when I was younger. I didn't have I had no confidence. Mm. And it goes back to that. I love that you talked about proving yourself on this episode because that's what it goes back to. Because when I was in my early 30s, I was still trying to prove myself to anyone that would want to listen. Mm-hmm. But now I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care. You don't like me? I don't give a damn. Like, I could care. There's, there, I, there, I don't even care about in my pinky finger as much about what anyone Yo, thinks. listen. If you ever had an inkling, to look at the insanity of this industry, now's the time to do it. <laughs> because you are prime. Right. You, are, you already have the, the, the thick skin of like, look, I'm going to do what I do, and we'll see how it comes out. But relax. I'm not going <laughs> like, right. to. That's get what you crazy. just expressed. That's right. the attitude I have. I'm like, no, nah, yeah. don't think. Just relax. You're not that big. Amazon book, Amazon book reviews gave me a thick skin because all you have to do is write one book and put oh. it out there and bitches come <laughs> crawling. They can't even write in crayon, but they sure the hell know how to type a bad review. <laughs> they don't yeah, even know how to I write think. in cursive, but they know how to tap. You suck on Amazon review. So, <laughs> I don't even know. The only happens. two words they know. Only two words. It's the it's the two words they use for all their trolling on social media. You suck. And you're like, okay, go Absolutely. go go read a cartoon and go read a comic book. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's true. But you're, listen, I, I don't even pay attention to those reviews because I read your book. You well, Stop. and you can't. But you can't pay attention to reviews. And I've stopped reading things on social media. I used to try to respond to everyone when they wrote something on social media to Flight Attendant Joe. And then at some point I was just like, you know, I don't know where, why are these people even following? Because they have such negative things. So the fact that you can go into these auditions and you have the confidence and that's what it is. It's confidence. Hard one. Absolutely. Because I was a very underconfident kid. I wasn't athletic. I didn't play any sports. I was painfully shy. I used to hide under my bed to read comic books with a flashlight. Hmm. My mom had to like kick me. Go outside and play. They're playing baseball. They're playing football. They're playing basketball. Go ride your bike. I'm I'm okay. (laughs) Like I was painfully shy. Interesting. Bullied. Like all, all that stuff. So what people see, I keep saying like, look, this is the product of decades of work, right. inward and outward. Because I was not, I was instinctively one of those people that loved to be the center of attention, that was naturally inclined for and none of that. So even the confidence, it, that, that's work. I had to learn to, to, to grow into myself, to come into myself, and for the right reason, not to become confident so they think I'm this, or become confident because I want that out of it. No, just become, become confident. My confidence, I think, stems from Developing a love for myself, a value for myself as a human being, as a sibling, as an uncle, as an employee, as just as being, honestly, being a humane being, that value within myself is what's helped me build my confidence over the years. So I can still be confident. Right. 
in no way am I going to be, no one is going to tell you, anyone who speaks to me for more than five minutes, no one's going to say, Joe, he's so arrogant, man. He just fools himself. I'm not. I'm confident in what I do, but that doesn't, I don't take myself that seriously. No, that's good. And and I think confidence, less, have you ever noticed that when you have confidence, people think like, oh, look at him. Or like, if you have confidence, people think poorly of that. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, when women have confidence, they're called bitches. Right. So, but that about? I, I, you know, it's because weak people who don't have confidence are mm -hmm. are probably jealous of someone who can walk around and think, yeah, I don't care what you think. I'm good. I'm good. Right. I'm good. I colored my, uh, you know, I recently colored my beard blue because why not? And I've had some people say I don't like it. And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, thankfully for you, it's my beard. So nobody gives a damn. Right. Right. Luckily, I wasn't seeking your uh Exactly. Consent, so so if, yeah. if people listening to this episode, if the one thing they can pull from it is, one, stop giving a fuck what other people think, and two, have confidence <laughs> and be proud of yourself because the fact that you're still alive today is, is a lot of work. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. Have, do you watch a lot of television? Ironically, no, I do not. <laughs> I've actually, no, I've, I've gone back and watched like binge on shows, TV shows. Okay. I try to familiarize myself because it's my industry. Right. But well, I'm going to give you some honestly, homework. I'm going to give you some it. homework. Oh, God. Please do. I'm more than glad to make you have to, um You have to watch Hollywood on Netflix. I did see. Oh, my gosh. Did you watch that it? That I saw. Oh, so, yay. Oh, my God. Amazing. Thank God. Thank God you watched it. It Yo, was amazing. It was so phenomenal and it was so telling there's so many pieces of it even set in the 30s so much it took so place much in of like, that is still it, applicable today it was yeah it was really interesting so my husband and i watched the whole thing and i thought it was fun and okay. it, i thought it was very entertaining and my, but matt matt said something that really clicked in my brain he said you do realize yeah this was a fun show and it was very entertaining and it's like an alternate history but Mm -hmm. If things would have been the way they should have been and they would have been right and there would have been equality for black actors and female actors and gay actors, this mm -hmm. show would have not, this show wouldn't have been, needed to be made. It wouldn't have been a standout. So that's right. Just like, what the, and what I thought, I bet you people, you know, I wonder who's really thinking about it like that instead of just watching and going, oh, look, oh, I don't want to give away too much, but oh, look, this person's living, right. this it's person's right. out in 1945. <laughs> and oh, look, they gave this black actress a role that in reality, they would have closed down the, let's be real, they would have closed down the production right. before they would have gave it a, a leading actress, Absolutely. a black role who wasn't playing Mammy in 1945, right? right? So Absolutely when he true. when he brought that up to me, I was like, that is actually more important. The, the fact that there's been racial disparity and equality and women have been treated poorly in Hollywood that was run by men decades Gender ago, you know, that's why this show is made. And I want people to, I hope that when people watch the show, when they get done, they're like, oh, that was fun. And the actors were great. And it was a great storyline. And I loved seeing right. them do the right thing. It's only because the wrong thing was done that has made, mm -hmm. that gave um, that show a venue today. Why, why that story could be so, uh, such a standout and so, you know, um, powerful right because that's not the way things are 
know, if they say, what do they say? Um, hide the, hide the, the medicine in, in the pudding, whatever you call it. That's one of the things I like about being a creative and express myself as an actor in any variety of ways is that I want to be able to impact people as an artist. I want to be, if I, to me, being an artist is when you can do something or create something that can move people from one emotion to the next. That's art. It could be to make them angry or happy or joyous or depressed or reflective or, you know, all those things. And it's also, you know, to entertain sometimes just, you know, escapism. But one of the things I think is most powerful is when people create a project that is as entertaining as Hollywood, but also in a fun, entertaining way. There are a lot of underlying, a lot mm, of you know, yeah. subtext that you can talk about later right. and be like, I never even thought about that. Because if someone said it to you, like in a preachy way, like, this is what I had and blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, okay, yeah, right. Let it fly out the other ear. But because it's in the context of the show, and why the things that are important are critical to the show having the impact it had. Now that's why when your husband said it, you're like, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I think it was phenomenal. I loved it. Yeah. It made it so much more mm-hmm. important when I thought of it that way, I was like, wow, it was entertaining, but also it's important to remember that that's only like 60 years ago and black people and women and gay people were treated horribly. They were just treated mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, and in this show, and this is a question I had for you, I have it written down is, have you ever been turned down for a role because they wanted a white person? Hmm. Um, I can't say out and out that that has been exactly why. I've seen roles that I've gone for that have gone to white people, but I've never had anyone say that, they're, you know, we're just looking for, you know, a Caucasian male and double. And, and even, see, the thing is this, because of my thick skin, if that's what you're looking for, I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, I don't care. Um, because I, there are other jobs that are for me, that I'll, those will seek me out, slash I'll find them. And also part of what I am uh, have uh, on my uh, blueprint down the road is I want to create my own content. If I'm writing my own stories and telling them I have my own movies, I don't need someone to tell me. I have to sit back at the effect of, I hope they like me, like my project. I can write a project for me, or I can write a project that tells my story for someone else to do, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I can't say I've had that, you know, put thrown in my face. No, it hasn't been my experience. Does it happen? Maybe. Possibly. Have you ever? I'll let you know. I'll keep you up to date. Please keep me up to date because when they so when they send out like your um, manager or your agent calls you and says, Hey Joe, we have mm-hmm. this role. We have this thing we want you to go out for. Does it, do they ask for like specific, like African American white, or is it just like male 35 to 45? Both. Okay. All right. Sometimes it'll be very specific. You know, maybe they're looking to, to touch a particular de- demographic. They're going to run it in certain parts of the regions of the country that they know is more of the demographic is um, people of color or whatever, or if the, the or if the product or whatever is more specific to that population, that happens. And then other times it'd just be a male, this age, this age, and they describe this the uh, character. Well, we're looking for, you know, he's the fun uncle. He's going out with his nephew and he's going to teach him how to ride a bike. So sometimes it's both. It actually comes from both ways. I've always thought if it's a... If it's a, if you're going out, like say they're trying to cast George Washington, well, of course it's going to be a white guy because 
you need to stay historically correct, right? But well, right, I don't know. Right. That's not true either, because um, of Hamilton. But oh well, look. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are examples of that. Right, but if it's a made-up character, who gives a damn what your skin color is? Give it to the person who does the best job. So I guess I don't understand. I know, right? But doesn't that sound like it would solve all the fucking Imagine. problems in the what world? What a novel idea! Oh my god, yeah. why did I think of that on this stupid podcast? <laughs> You're but blessing the world, brother. It's yeah. like it's like if it's a made-up person, who gives a damn who plays the character? Did you see the backlash? There's so many examples of that. When they said they're considering Idris Elba to be James Bond, I'm so excited! Oh my God, to the high heavens! I know. I, I think it'd be phenomenal. Amazing! Um, amazing! Had, amazing! Yes. Amazing. When they had um, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but the, the guy that was uh, the lead in the Star Wars movie, like one or two uh, of the main series that it is, but the black guy that's in the movie. Oh, the, he plays yeah, Finn. I, I can't about, remember his name though, but I know right, who you're talking about. There was yeah. an uproar about him being there. How about this? Well, the Asian chick too. The prince, the princess, and the frog. It's an animated story. Animated of fiction, and they losing their minds. Lose However, there are movies in the theaters about um, Noah and Egyptian kings played, played by, by white Christian people. Day. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And nobody bats an eye. Right, and we know Noah wasn't white. Correct. <laughs> right. We well, know. well, people we that know. have a brain understand that. Yes. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it's, it's funny that the kind of pushback you get in those kind of scenarios. Well, yeah. I, I want to go back um, to the James Bond comment because I think he <laughs> would be fantastic. When I read that article, oh, it was this moment of when I read the article, I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be so hot and amazing. Mm -hmm. And then when I read mm -hmm. what people were saying, I was like, I hate the earth. I hate people. I hate. I have a T-shirt that says it. Um, but <laughs> yes, yes. I I always tell my cats. I'm like, if you could just make it until the meteor hits, you're probably going to be the next smartest thing on the planet. So just yeah, hang probably. in there, hang in there, because we have failed miserably. Uh, we don't even know how to treat each other this with kindness. So, right. Much of the planet. So, I just find that fascinating. How. Oh, what it just happened with um they're gonna make a live action Little Mermaid. And they are have they? a girl yes, they are, and they have a um the the who who's gonna play Ariel is a is an actor of color and mm -hmm. people went ape shit. You're oh, I read this. Yeah. I literally read someone said you're gonna ruin my childhood. Bitch, you're 40, settle down. For real, if your child could be ruined that well, your bad, your parents probably fucked you up. Not that somebody of color is going to play the Little Mermaid, who's not yeah. real, who's not real, right? She's fictional not real. characters. They're they're turning, they're flipping tables because fictional characters are being portrayed by people of color. But people that are taking from the books of history is is a fact that these people were people of color, and they have you know Caucasian people playing these roles, mm -hmm. and it's. What's the problem? So. Well, that's why I think um, if if listeners, if you have not watched Hollywood on Netflix, you should watch it. It is entertaining, oh, yeah. but it's Please. also going to show you what it was like back in the day, and um, right, and how I, I it's still you know I shouldn't even say back in the day because that shit is still happening in twenty twenty. 
It's still happening today. It's happening right now as we speak. So it has Mm -hmm. nothing to, we haven't learned. Nobody's really, it's gotten better. Sure, it's gotten better. Right, it's gotten better. It's improved in many ways, but is it still happening? Absolutely. We have, listen, we have politicians that are getting in trouble that were like, they were adamantly against same-sex marriages, and then it comes out that they were gay. It's like, you don't even like yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, they just don't like themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, kind of crazy that's still a power struggle they just want to tap they just want to they just want to tap the floor in the bathroom i mean i haven't done that for like 20 years (laughs) i'm I'm terrible joe i'm sorry i'm trying to be as professional listen i was like before 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 i even started recording i was like all right you have to be professional he is he is a hollywood actor you can't you have to be you can't act like a fool, and then five minutes in, I'm acting like a fool. So it's just who I am. <laughs> no, nah, man, you, you're you. That's one of the reasons I was looking forward to being on this podcast with you because you're one of the most authentic and genuine people that I've seen in this industry. So I was just I was looking forward to the conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you know, Mr. Rogers says that people like people who are honest. So if I can come on the show and I could be honest, and I think people can tell because I'm always like, fuck that. You know, that's how you know that somebody's being honest. But, yes, that, right? I, I think mean, that might go that that might be the most honest phrase <laughs> in the English language. That's fuck why the, that. that that's, <laughs> why, that's why there's a little E by my podcast episodes, because it's explicit and you don't know what's gonna happen. Oh. But I'm also about to talk about something serious. So I thought, let's make it light right now, and then we can kind of transition into something serious. And, you know, we're talking about race issues in in Hollywood, but there's also race issues going on just in our everyday life. And I want to bring up Ahmaud Arbery, who was shot to death jogging on February 23rd, 2020. And... I want to I want to just bounce this idea. I just want to bounce this conversation off you. I am I'm upset that he was killed and I think those two white devils should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But why the why did it take me so long to find out? Why wasn't this headline news? I don't understand that. Buddy, I I didn't know about it until I'd say the middle of oh, not even March. The middle the beginning of April. I didn't know anything about it until probably April, maybe the end of March, April. And that makes me even feel worse because I didn't find out till like two weeks ago. And it was because of Instagram. I saw his picture and I was like, what's going on? What is happening? What's like, going on? Guy? Yeah. And, and right. I will say this. I don't watch a lot of news because it it's, you know, you got to, you really have to it's take toxic. I'll yes, honest, it's I very don't watch toxic. A lot of news either. You have I'm to be very able selective to... and intentional about what I want. Exactly. But I thought this, when I saw this, I was like, whoa, right now, the, you know, the black population's on fire with everything going on. Why isn't this something mm-hmm. that I'm not hearing? Why is it taking me three months to find out about this? I was so upset about that. <sighs> Well, I mean, there there's so many parts to that. The way I could probably say it in the broadest sense is that this country, um, and not just this country, but honestly, um, Europeans going back hundreds of years, colonizers, have made a point of anyone of color, whether it's the indigenous people of the land, Native Americans. Um, first, okay, how do you discover a country where there are people living? I think That's it's already, like been, it's already been discovered. Yeah. 
Yeah. What? I think someone walking in your backyard putting a flag down. I just go, I played this this country for the name of Joe Thomas. Right. Playing? He's talking about, yo, bro, we're, we're grilling. Can you get out of my backyard? <laughs> it's just, it's insane. But the... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to make it like... No, it's good. It's a, no, um, I li- you're making me laugh, but it's a serious topic, but I laugh about everything, especially when I'm nervous. But go ahead. But the, the, the point of it is that, you know, everything about the portrayal in the, the media of people of color, in particular people, uh, of black people, is they, they give the image of us being less than human. That we're animals, that we, we rob each other, we're rapists, we're, everything's just dangerous. Put it this way, Joe. Yeah, you have blue eyes, I think. Yeah, um, what color t- eyes? yeah, um, they're like blue green. Yeah, hazelish. Okay. Yeah. So imagine if that feature of your body that you have nothing to do with, you can't change it. Imagine if just having that feature in your genetics, people automatically see you as a threat. Right. Just on sight, you don't have to do nothing. You have to say anything. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. It doesn't matter how you speak or conduct yourself. Just your presence, you're seen as a threat and as an animal. It's funny that people have these big things about, oh, PETA, and don't be a vegan so you don't hurt animals. But people are desensitized to the idea of a young man running down the street, not running for his life like he just did something bad. He's jogging. And these two white men felt entitled enough to not only press him to question him about something they're saying he did, which has already been proven they didn't, but to bring a weapon and shoot him dead in the street. Judge, jury, executioner. And they think there's nothing wrong with it. And there's people because defending everything them. About society, well, absolutely. I don't absolutely. get that. That's what I don't get. That's what I don't because get. Because that, that is so far ingrained in people's minds that they, they see it I would, I would say it's like shooting a dog in the street, but they have they have more compassion if somebody shot the dog in the street. Quite honestly, that's, and the reason that's that it's only now surfacing. Go ahead. It's true. Yeah. One of the reasons it's only surfing surfacing now is because there was such pushback in the community. Like, why are you burying this? Why are you? How are you not saying petitions going around and people protesting? They're like, oh, I guess we got to let people know what happened. But if not, they'd be swept under the rug. Right. They wouldn't think well, anything that's what about. they were. I think Yo, that's there, what they were probably there, trying so to do. Many, absolutely. And the fact is that the guys got arrested. Honestly, I'm not particular, particularly optimistic that they're going to be prosecuted. But just because they got arrested doesn't mean anything. It's just that one thing that one of the reasons that this seems so much more pronounced now is the advent of the technology. Everyone can have a video about this. Right. So now that it's, it's, the proof is there. But the thing is, even that doesn't really mean anything because then they came up, then they came up with the, the brilliant phrase of, well, what you don't see on the video is the video is supposed to be the proof. If you're using what we don't see as validation, the video is no longer valid. So it's just, it's insane what's going on out there. And, and I really hope that these people are held accountable. I'm not asking for anything more, more stringent than anyone else. Just the same accountability you would give to someone else. If a, if a black person did that to a white person, hold them just as accountable right. as you, you know what I'm saying? As long as it's fair and equal, hey, what he did was wrong. If a person, it doesn't matter what the person's complexion or melanin content is. If they did something like that, that's a heinous crime, it's wrong, 
they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law as if the person that was the victim is like the child of the judge. Hold them accountable the same way. You know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, if, if a white girl said, oh, that black guy looked at me funny, they went and they pulled the black guy out of his house and hung him. Oh, yeah. So, you know, when I think of that. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever heard of uh, a young man named Emmett Till? Of course I have. I do my, yes, I, okay. yes, I have. Yes, yes, I know. I, I, yeah. um, I'm starting to sweat now, and I don't know if it's because we're having this serious conversation that I've been wanting to have <laughs> or I don't have a window open. But, um, but the window. I have this idea, like, and this is going to sound terrible, but when I heard this story, I was like, obviously there's video that these two white dudes, I call them white devils. When they're, when they're, when they're at that level of crazy, I call them white devils. When these two white devils shot this man, it's on video. You know, you know, I have an idea. Let's go old school. Let's give their guns to Ahmad's family and then let those, and then let them go for a run. Um, and I said that to a fellow yeah. black friend of mine, a, a black girl. And she said, Joe, you know, black people, they wouldn't even go after that man because that's not the way we are. Right. And it makes me it makes me so angry being a white guy who sees all this and people don't get enraged or when they get enraged, they just get enraged and they write about it on Facebook. I'm like, that doesn't Absolutely. fucking do anything. I just watched um, a video Oh my God. He's a, it's his wife. He's a comedian. I think it's, um, Hewley. What's his first name? Oh, D.L. Hewley. Thank you. I believe it was his wife. Yeah. She made a video and she was talking yeah. about, you know, this, you know how there was this whole thing about run for him, you know, go do like 2.83 right. miles or something. Right. And she yeah. was like, she's like, you know, when you, when you white people, <laughs> I love it. When you white people do put that all over Facebook, you're just doing that to make yourself feel better. Absolutely. What true. you need to do is you talk about it. You call people out. If I was out on my street and a black boy was walking down the street and a white person, my neighbor started saying something, I would be the first. And of course everyone would expect this. I would be the first one to be like, mind your fucking business, whitey. <laughs> Right, right. Because that is how you make change. You call out. If you're a white person and you see racism, going on Facebook and putting a little flag or saying, I'm going to go run 2.83 miles, that is doing nothing. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is you have to take that baton and say, I'm going to call out racism when I see it. I'm going to call out, if I see somebody harassing a woman, I'm going to call out sexism. I'm going to call out ageism. Right. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to have a voice because as a white person, you know, and I don't mean to say this to be rude, but, and how do I, what am I trying to say that doesn't make me sound like a complete asshole? But as a white person, I think it's our duty to stand up for minorities. You know, I, I can, I can, I agree with that to a degree. Okay. I agree that if you don't have that kind of thinking, that mentality of that kind of treatment of people of color or people's gender or people's uh, sexual preference or whatever it might be. Again, I go back to the word being human and being humane are not the same thing. So if you're a humane being and you feel that this, this is mistreatment just for whatever, just for the, in the sake of to do the right thing, not right, this person being treated that way, you you should speak for it. Not necessarily it's your duty to stand up for people of color. It's our duty to stand up for what's right. 
as human beings. What what you are is what we would call in, in the African American community is you're a white ally. Aww. Meaning that you're a white person right. that understands that this isn't right and you have the same values we do and you want to stand up for us. So what you said is it's not necessarily you have the obligation to, but if you really feel that way, not just because it's a minority, just because you feel it's the wrong thing to do, I think we all have a duty to stand up and talk about it. Right. Because if I, honestly, I, I, I lived in Harlem the last couple of years that I was in New York. I grew up in Queens. I was born in Brooklyn. A lot of these are, are uh, culturally areas of, of people of color, you know, Caribbean descent and, and all that type of stuff. But if I saw a white person walking down the street and somebody harassing them, I feel just as accountable, just as responsible to go, so what are you doing? That's not, why are you doing that? Leave the kid alone. Like, right. I, I feel like we all should be standing up just for that reason. And the lines that uh, uh, distinguish us, the things that are established just for the sake of making us separate are not as important as just being human beings. Exactly. But that's just my case. But no, it's true. Um, you know, I would stick up for a, tr you know, I have transgender friends and if somebody was harassing them, I'd right. be, I'd, I'd fight. I mean, I love a con, but here's the thing. I also love a confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> I love confrontation. I'm the guy who, when I'm standing in the grocery line and the woman in front of me is giving the cashier a hard time, I call the I call the customer out. There you go. What, what, why are you doing that? I'm like, listen, <laughs> just pay your bill and move on, bitch. I don't have time for you all day. Like, I need to go too. And then the cashier is always like, thank you. Um, Thank but, you so much. But I, but you're right. It has nothing to do, you know, black, white, green, purple, transgender, gay, whatever, Asian. If you see someone doing, if you see someone treating another human being poorly, fucking step up, step right. up, step you, up, and if say. If you see somebody doing something that, if it was, if they were doing it to your parent, your family member, uh, anyone you care about, if you have, if you see a guy, you know. Uh, being uh, abusive to a woman, if you have a mom or a sister or a niece or a wife, and you would feel a way about them treating your family member that way, you should respond the same way. You should care just as much about that person, whether you have any affiliation with them or not, just because it's the right thing to do. Now, granted, a lot of times it can get inflamed, it can get out of hand, right? and nobody wants to get into a dangerous situation, but that's the thing. If everyone is on the same page as far as just treating people right. right. And a lot of this kind of disappears because the people, as you said, the people that will put up something online, or, I'm going to run for a mod and all that type of stuff. The importance is to be aware of who your elected officials are. If you have a judge that is known for, you know, slamming and, and uh, giving two and three times the same uh, jail term to people of color than they do for white people, then you got to vote them out of office. Right. If you have to protest something, we're not, we're not going to give you your business. We're not going to patronize your business because you treat Starbucks. Like what happened with Starbucks was amazing. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, but these two guys got arrested because they were sitting in Starbucks. Just the sitting line. in there. Right. Right. Yes. I remember that. Just in there. We have all done that. I've been in Starbucks but sitting there, there many times. Arrested. Yeah. Starbucks shut down all their locations. And did a training on uh, uh, inclusion and all that type of stuff. I think that was a wonderful gesture. And they're holding their employees accountable because they're human. 
not because oh you can't do that to black people. They've been they've been through so much. <laughs> it's not that. It's like that's just fucked up. Right. It doesn't matter what but it looks like. I think white people, including myself, we get the white allies, I'll say, because I like that term. I think we get caught up in the guilt that we have. Like I have a lot of white guilt because mm-hmm. of the color of my skin and that I can walk down the neighbor I can walk down the street and no one even can sit no one even looks at me. And I know how difficult that is. And I, one of my dearest friends lives in North Carolina. He's a black guy. And after this, when I found out about this shooting and he goes for walks every day, posts a photo on social media, I'm going for a walk. And it, it crossed my mind. I'm like, oh God, I hope nothing happens to him. He's just out walking. Right. And um, a couple of weeks ago, and this is the guilt that kicks in, right? The white guilt. Um, there's a knock at the door and I open my door and um, I live in a pretty mixed neighborhood. There's Latins, there's black people and there's white people. So um, Mm -hmm. knock on the door, I open the door and we have a screen door and there's a young black kid. I would say he's like 16 and he's selling something. But of course I'm not going to buy nothing, no matter who you are. You could be, well, maybe if Obama knocked on the door and was selling something, I'd buy it. But other than that, like, no, I'm I'm not buying nothing from anybody. I don't give a fuck. I'll I'll just give him, I'll be like, here's here's the money. $2 that I'll need. (laughs) I'll be just like, please tell me where Michelle is so we can talk. But so I'm standing there with the screen door and this boy's on the other side and he's talking. And of course I'm listening because I'm, I'm never going to slam the door in someone's face and he's talking. And then as he's talking and he's trying to say, I don't, I think it was something for high school or something. I'm thinking I need to open this door and step outside and show him that I'm not nervous that a black boy's knocking on my door. And see, that's, and in my mind, that's what all the other bad people do in the world. Like they've got, I I feel like I'm so on edge, like I want to treat everyone the same. And I'm sitting here on this door. And if it was a white kid, I wouldn't think that, but because it's a black kid and I know what's happening in the country and I'm aware, I'm like, I have to step outside and show him that I'm not a, he belongs in this neighborhood. And even if he doesn't, I don't care because I don't own the fucking neighborhood. I own, I live in one house. That's a very kind gesture because that's true. I mean, do you One think that thing, matters, though? Do you think? Do you think I that? Think it a, does. Do you think I it think, does? I think that matters because if he has that experience with you and other people that are not people of color, other white people that he's spoken to, all activity and scared, he's like, "I'm just selling candy for my basketball team. We're trying to buy some jerseys." Right. And they're treating him like, "Oh my God, don't kill my dog." The <sighs> fact that you just treated him like you would treat anyone else, even if he he might say it, he might not, but it might in his head he'd be like. That guy was really nice to me. Everybody else treated me like I was shit, but right. he was just, he came and talked to me like a human being, even if he didn't buy anything. He was like, okay, that's cool. You know, so I mean, those those little gestures, I think they do mean something. It doesn't have to always be a grand gesture that right. would change the world, but all those little moments, those little opportunities to treat someone right, I think they all count. And and one of the things, like the difference of, of what you're talking about, like how you might respond to him as opposed to someone else, just to take a little bit off track. I know something that I, like I said, I have, I have siblings, I have nieces and nephews, right? One conversation we've had with them since they're all very young. We say, okay, listen, the right thing to do when in this particular situation, if you stop by the cops, this is how you conduct yourself. You do this, you do this, you do this, right? right? 
Make sure you have, if, you have, like, if you're driving, okay, make sure you have the paperwork, my registration, my insurance, you give me a driver's license, keep your hands in view. Okay, officer, I have to get it out of here. I'm going to move very slowly this way. Like you're going to go out of your way to be super elaborate and detailed in your action to move slowly. The fact that someone of the same age, but a white person could get pulled over and be like, where the fuck you pulling me over for? Right. And it's not fair that they could get away with that. But the issue is not what's fair. The issue is this is reality. So we know that that's not fair. We know that, ideally. However, we want you to get home at night. So if you got to do a little bit more in the hopes that you don't become another victim on the news, you do that. And the, the, it, it can go up to even something as current as right now we're, in the time we're in, we're dealing with this, you know, COVID situation, right? Mm-hmm. How many times do you see on the news that so, just uh, something I reposted today of a bunch of white kids on the Lower East Side of Manhattan all sitting in front of a bar because they wouldn't open the bar to let them in because of the social distancing. They all sat outside with their masks off drinking in the street. There were other pictures or videos of cops walking around with masks on, handing them out to white kids. Mm. And two blocks away, there's a video of kids getting beaten, thrown into cars, people kneeling on the back of their head for for the same thing, for not adhering to social distancing, not having a mask. So that kind of apparent disparity, that's the stuff that is honestly kind of maddening. Yeah. And that's the stuff where you, you people, anyone who says that there is not a different treatment of people based on their appearance, their color, and their ethnicity, you're just trying to appease your guilt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think the first thing that white people have to do uh, is acknowledge that there's a problem. And I think a lot of white people don't want to do that because then they'd have to realize, oh, wait a minute. If everyone's the same, then I'm not at the top of the food chain. No, you're not. You're not. We're all the fucking same. Get over it. Um, It's so interesting because a couple of months ago I had um, Keisha on, this girl Keisha, and it was a conversation about race. It was called Joe and Keisha Talk About Race. And she basically said exactly the same thing that you said about the conversations that black parents have with their black children is so different than the white children, because you know, there's a black mom out there. Like, I don't give a fuck if that store is closed. If you sit out front, I'm going to stab you. But white parents don't have, listen, I know a lot of black moms. (laughs) I wish I would have had one. I would have been raised a hell of a lot better, but you know, but there's no white parent, you know, white parents are telling their kids, you do what you want. You don't let anybody stop you. It's such a, it's such a right to be out here. Right. It's a fracture. You know, I go back to the term. Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say it. Make America great again. And I, Mm -hmm. I remember when I first heard that it took me a few weeks and I thought I started thinking, I was like, all right, well make America great again. Okay. When was America great? Was it when we owned people? When we, when, when white people took over the continent from the Indians and slaughtered them and then brought black people from Africa over to serve them, was that when America Mm -hmm. was great? How about when women couldn't vote? How about when gays were being pulled out of the, the bars for just loving who, oh, wait a minute. Oh, America's really never been great. (laughs) It's just been, it's, it's, you know, Hey, think think about who was saying it's great for white people, white heterosexual men. 
And I don't want anyone to think I'm bashing the white people because hello, I'm white. I'm a gay guy. I'm a minority. You ever think of that? Like gay people are minorities. That's an interesting thing. I, yeah, I'd say I wouldn't disagree with that. No. Yeah. But um, it's just once we all can look at each other and just acknowledge and accept the fact that, yeah, it, this country has been fucked up and there's been a, there's a huge scar line across it and we could make this country better, but we're still not. And that's my problem. <laughs> it's well, all talk. It's, it's all way. talk. It, it, it is. It's all fluff. It's, it's part of what, what's referred to as um, white privilege. Yes. Oh yeah. Part of, part of that is that that's part of why people can say there's nothing wrong. Like they, they're able to just say, what, what are you talking about? Why are you making a big deal of it? Because it's not even in their awareness. It's like they've never had to experience the, the no one, they don't know what it is to walk out the door and to automatically be seen as a dangerous person. They don't know what that is. No. There's a quote. There's a, uh, have you ever heard of James Baldwin? James Baldwin. Um, I need a little bit more information now. I'm going to look him up though. He's like a prolific, um, African-American author, playwright. Yeah. All right. that oh, yes, there he is. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he was like, this country's so great, I'm going to leave because they treat me terribly. <laughs> he has yeah. a quote that says, to be black in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. Wow, that's, that's so true. Like, yeah, and, and I, me, I can't even understand that because I've been privileged um, because of just the color of my skin, no matter how fucked up I've been in my life. I right. know that I have had a privilege over someone who is a different color than me or a different race than me. Right. Um, right. And like I said, I, and, and and I always go not, back to that. Not it, your fault like you did something bad. Right. But honestly, a lot of it is just admitting that that is a situation that is like that's an actual thing. That's like the first step is admitting. Cause I know people who don't want to admit it because they're like, I'm not a bad person. I'm like, no dude, listen, you're, I'm not saying you're white and you're bad. No, I'm not They're right. Sure. There's some bad white people. There's bad black people, bad Asians, whatever. But right. you know, it's like, I'm not, you're not, they take it personal. Like if somebody, if you say to me, like you've, you're white privileged, I would be like, yes, yes. I mean, there, why would I deny it? Because it's a fact. And I, but I think a lot of white people are afraid to admit that because then they're, they're almost thinking, well, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. No, and we, I understand right. that Which it's, it's, a, it's not just about you. Right. right. It's what you're, but you're living a lifestyle based upon what was done by your forefathers. Like you're able to have the quality of life, the advantages of, of where you go to school and what kind of uh, food, even the, the, the difference in how certain communities are serviced differently. Why do you think that so many people of color, particularly black people, are so predisposed to the, the, that have so many of the pre-existing conditions that make them immunocompromised for what we're dealing with with Corona? Because even in our, in our neighborhood, we get food that is not healthy. I mean, how long ago was the, the situation in Flint, Michigan, and they still have like tainted water right. and no one cares because it's a black neighborhood mm -hmm. 
all these things that we've been experiencing that has generationally made us more inclined to have these kind of health issues. That's why there's such a disparity in, you know, the fatalities with this. But all those things, I mean, the kind of food you have, the, the kind of education system you have available to you, the, the, the nepotism of how you're hired for a job. Can you get a loan to, to start your own business? Where, where can you live? You can't live in that neighborhood. We're going to turn that. I mean, it's, it's, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a laundry list of things. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just, I just, if anybody, if, if there's any white people listening <laughs> and they I'm think sure that I'm white bashing people. white people, no, just educate no. yourself a little I'm on history. No, you're not either. No, neither one of us are. Educate yourself, understand his, I think history is so important. I think if people understood what happened in this history, and the one thing that I can't stand to hear is, oh, people should just get over it. Like I've been told, I've actually been told, you can get married now, get over it as a gay guy. How and come, I, and how I'm come, like, not, mind you, I'm, I'm not talking bad about any other um, community, but how come no one tells the Jews to get over the Holocaust? Well, I don't think you can get away more, with that. I don't more, think anybody can ever Af- say that. Yeah, but more, right. I, were more you going to say more African-Americans African- died? Yes, I believe that. Right. Yeah. On, on the way to this country, <laughs> than the amount of people that were killed in, in Nazi Germany. Still a terrible event. But I would never say to them, get over it. Right. But again, saying get over it, that allows them to feel a little bit better about it. They're, 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 they feel less guilty if I'm not always bringing up something terrible that is associated to them indirectly that is associated with them. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, with my, I do have a happy ending though, for my story, as we talk about the Holocaust yeah. of Jews and black people are like, well, I have a happy ending moment. Yeah. Right. Damn Joe. You, this is the most serious conversation I think I've had. And this is episode number 26. So that's pretty good. Um, but the boy oh. that came to the door because I made him feel so comfortable a couple, like a week later, Matt was outside working on the car and he came up the driveway and he started chatting with Matt about the truck. Oh, that truck is so cool. But, but, and I was sitting in my office watching and I thought, I bet you if I wouldn't have gone outside and made that connection with that kid, even though I didn't want to buy his shit, Mm-hmm. I listened to him and I was respectful for him. It gave him the confidence to know he could just come up and start talking. Of course, Matt starts talking about the truck and then they're out there talking. And, and I just had this right. moment of that, that, that is what changes America. See, that's why I said it's not insignificant that you gave him that respect. It's important that people do that on a one-to-one basis. We don't have to do that on a national scale. Right. Just when you interact with someone, treat that person like you want them to treat you. It, it's Joe, it's, it's you make really, it sound it is so easy, and it is. It really is. No, no, it, it is. It's simple. It is. It Honestly, is. I, I would say it's easy, too. But it's, it's, it's not a complex idea. They call it the golden rule. They have a book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. I mean, it's, it's really just that. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of pieces that interconnect to that. So my, my close on that would be just treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Pretend you're in their situation. How would you hope that someone treated you? And just do that. I love it. Listen, I've been asking everyone this question. So before I let you go, I want to ask you because you know, 2020. Okay, and, and I apologize. We ran, we ran so long. I know we weren't trying to go this long. Oh no. Uh, no, 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 no. This is, this is, this is, per- don't ever worry about the time when it's a great conversation. Yeah, you, you can like chop it down. 
when you're done, this could be like 47 seconds. No. <laughs> 47. Uh, it'll be 15 seconds. It'll be your commercial. <laughs> the, the best 15 seconds. Exactly, right? <laughs> no, but listen, every, you know, 2020 has been a shit show so far. And it's very, ne- everyone's really negative on social media. Everyone's just upset and complaining. But I want to ask you, tell me one good thing about 2020 for you. One positive thing that's going on or happening or whatnot in 2020? I'll give you two. I have more. I'll give you two. One is that it has put people, they have greater value for the interaction they had before. They realize how important it is. Like people that have family that live in the same neighborhood, but they never speak to them. We live in the same state. I never ever talk to them. People are now going, maybe selfishly, because they just want to feel connectivity with another human being. But people are having like, family uh, video chat and just checking up on each other and like, I just want to make sure you're okay. I know you're kind of on your own. And just shoot, I think about Joe, how's Joe doing? Let me send him a text. Hey bro, how are you? Just thought about you. I hope you're okay. If you need anything, call me. Like that little, that, I've heard a lot more of that because now people aren't so distracted by the hustle of trying to live life on whatever tilt they're working on. Um, So that's outwardly. The second part I found is that some people, which remember I spoke about meditation and just kind of being introspective and such. Many people are so afraid of going to that realm of inner space that they're glad that they have all these distractions around them. I'm never home. I got to go run and I got to go to work and I go to the gym. And then I'm in this meeting and then this has forced them to get quiet. Right. And just have a have a moment to just go, huh. And I've had a lot of people that have never been able to kind of deal with oh my just my brain is running and so much they've I've had people reach out to me because they know that I'm I am i am of that kind of uh mindset myself. That they're like, It is so cool. I just went and sat in my backyard for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Just kinda of closed my eyes and listened to the wind rustling and stuff and oh my gosh, it was just so peaceful. And people just finding a value in finding that silence and solace within themselves. Because when you can quiet the noise inside, your perception of the outside gets better. Oh, yeah. Just being alone with your thoughts, I think. Absolutely. I think that I I agree with you. I think that right now, because people are forced to to think and to listen to their thoughts. People don't want to be, people don't like being alone with their thoughts. A lot of people do not like being alone with their, and this has forced people to sit there where they can't keep buzzy, 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 busy, busy, busy. And now they're thinking, Oh shit, you know, maybe I don't like this certain thing about my personality. Maybe I need to work on this. So hopefully um, I agree with you on that. So that it turns, um, that people, great mind, great mind. People, like you said, when you start thinking internally, it's going to reflect how you act externally. Absolutely true. I, I definitely believe that. Even even something as, as simple as rediscovering, okay, like how I ended up getting into the, the performance, rediscovering a little hobby that you love since you were a kid, you put aside because you're so busy being grown. Like, hey, well. You want, I want to learn a new language. I want to learn how to play guitar. I want to put together puzzles. I want to learn how to paint. But those are all expressions. Our creative side, our spiritual side, our industrious side, those are all parts, components of us. 
And then when one of those things is flat, it's like a table. One leg is too long. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's we're, we're not in balance. Yeah. So even if something as simple as that, you can bring joy to your day to day just by finding something that give, puts you into that space, that energy, whether it's meditation or painting or whatever it is, or reading or talking to friends and playing video games, whatever it is. Right. Just, just, just having that moment, having the freedom, you know, a lot of bad things are happening right now, but I love the, I, I love it when people tell me the positives, cause I'm one of those people that for every negative thing that happens, you can find a positive most of the time. Absolutely true. Well, Joe, I'm, I'm a bit mine as well. I appreciate you. This conversation, I am literally sweating and it's probably cause I'm in a room with the door closed, but <laughs> As you can tell, I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about this. And my heart gets up because like you said, it's, you know, treating people nice, treating people kind. It's such, it's so easy. All you have to do is do it. It's, you don't even have to go to school. You know, you right. know it's the easiest thing. Just be kind. Be nice. Yeah. You don't even have to go to college. <laughs> oh my god what if what if the entire world went through that same training that starbucks employees had to go through oh my god I, I was, that might be wonderful oh my god joe thank you so much for coming on the podcast you are incredible and i am honored that you had this conversation with me thank you so much for having me man i i was really loved been looking forward to this and i hope we get a chance to chat again soon this was really great now let everyone know where they can find your um, videos so they can watch you and they can just gush over you like I've been gushing all over you. <laughs> I don't know about the gushing part. The easiest way to find me, uh, Instagram and Twitter, is Joe Gamble Actor, and it's spelled just like that. Joe Gamble, like Las Vegas, J O E G A M B L E Actor, A C T O R, and you'll see all my stuff there. I've got links up there. You can see what I'm up to, and I kind of keep people abreast of what my career is doing and give little pieces of, you know, my life snapshots. I'll share something that I think might be valuable and make somebody feel good, make somebody think, make somebody laugh. I love it. Thank you, sir. You have a great day and I will talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks for what you're doing. I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, <laughs> check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.